have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look today at verses 1 through 30. Uh, so uh, quite, a, quite a section we're going to be looking at today. Uh, and if you haven't been with us over the last couple of weeks, and even if you have, maybe a bit of review is helpful. And uh, here's what's happened in Daniel. The year is 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar is the new king of a growing empire called Babylon. He's already led the military to come and besiege the city of Jerusalem, and he's taken from Jerusalem, not everybody, he let many people continue living there, but he took out the best and the brightest, a group of young men who he thought he could train and re-educate, kind of reprogram them to be faithful servants of the kingdom and empire of Babylon. And among those friends are a man named Daniel and his three friends. They go through this three-year re-education program. And in the midst of this, these young men are committed to not defile themselves. They will, in the midst, even though at this time they're probably teenagers, they are committed to be the kind of men who live holy lives in the sight of God, even if that's not what the rest of the culture all around them is doing. And in the process of all of this time, God then gives them many things. God gives them favor. God gives them compassion. God gives them, uh, what else does it say? We, we looked at it in verses uh, 8 through 17 last week. Um, God gave them learning and skill in all wisdom, and he gave them positions of influence within the kingdom. And so today we're going to go through chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we're going to see one of the gifts that God gave Daniel is he gave him the gift of, of being able to understand visions and dreams. A gift that you might think of and seem, well, why is that going to be all that helpful? And we're going to see that God has a plan for all things. And today here in chapter 2, we're going to see exactly why that's helpful. Hey, Lynn. On, so on the desktop, there's a... Uh, there, there's one called um, Daniel. Nope, that's just the image. One second, technical discussion here for a moment. I've got some of my notes on here, so I don't want to not have it. Um, I don't see it. All right, you all got a Bible with you? <laughs> Nothing on the screen today. It was up there a little bit ago, and now it disappeared. So... Um, Open up your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to go all the way, verses 1 through 30. And uh, I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. And uh, God's Word is a good gift to us. I'm excited to look at it this morning. So go ahead and stand if you're able as we look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 30. God's Word. Let me pray first and then we'll read. Father, thank you that you've put this group together in this place at this time. Uh, thank you that you've uh, called many of us to yourself. Thank you for what we've been reminded of already this morning. Thank you even just for, for the reminder of your faithfulness. Thank you for the reminder of, of what we can accomplish, not because of us, but because of Christ in us. And so, God, we are people that, that come together in whatever situation when we come together with great hope. Uh, God, I pray also great resolve that we would be people like Daniel focused on living a life that is pleasing to you above everything else in spite of everything else. And so, God, would you do a work in us by your Spirit for your glory 
now as we meet this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to go all the way through verse 30. God's word says this. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Now the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn from limb to limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then... Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch the whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have, a, I have found among the exiles from Judah 
a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Well, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries have made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You can be seated. That was a long passage, wasn't it? Thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking with it, and uh, we're going to go through it. And as we go through it, I read all of it word for word on purpose because my intent is not to read again every word of that as we walk through it, but to have that whole story in our mind as we now walk through it. And you'll see in your bulletin a sermon notes page application guide, and the first point in there is this, they can't, they can't. The king is going to make some difficult demands. You heard that, didn't you, as we read through there? These really difficult demands. And I want us to note two things about the king as we get into the passage this morning. And those two things about the king are this. Number one, the king was disturbed. Did you note that? This king was disturbed. This young king who was used to everything kind of being handed to him because he was a powerful man in a powerful position. And this, this king, we're, we find in the rest of history that King Nebuchadnezzar was in fact a very religious man. He didn't worship the God of the Bible, but he worshipped some other god or gods. And his expectation, because he did not have the Bible, the very word of God to him, his expectation, like many others in his day, was that if he was going to learn anything from God, it was going to have to come in the form of a dream. And so this man is disturbed because he had a dream that he can't remember. Now, how many of you have dreams that you can't remember? Right? This is a pretty common experience, and sometimes you're totally content not to remember the dream, but sometimes you wake up, and it was either really stressful or really good, and you're like, ah, I wish I could remember, or it was funny. I wish I could remember what that dream was. And most of us don't really care all that much if we really find out what it was or not. But obviously Nebuchadnezzar does. And why is it that this man is so disturbed? Why can't he even sleep anymore at night? It's because his expectation is that his God is communicating something to him in a dream. And therefore he has to figure out what it is and what it means. But he can't even remember the dream it seems. And so he says his spirit is troubled. And then, the second thing we need to know about the king is not only is he disturbed, but out of that kind of stress that he's feeling, he starts to make difficult demands of the people around him. He wants to make sure that the people around him do what he wants. He has accumulated a lot of wealth, and with that wealth and with the wisdom that he's been given, he has trained up some men, some enchanters, magicians, the Chaldeans, which is a certain people group that they had already overtaken. And these people were supposed to be experts. 
They were supposed to be the ones that you could go to, you know, experts on this for this and this for that. But if you needed to know what the gods were saying, if you needed to know what a dream meant, you would go to these guys and they were paid the big bucks to give the kind of interpretation that he was looking for. But the demand that Nebuchadnezzar gives is not just, here's my dream, now you tell me what it means. His demand that he's putting on these men is, I don't even remember the dream. You tell me the dream and its interpretation. Okay? And these guys are struggling with these difficult demands that are coming from the king. They just say, we, we can't do that. So they've, they've made that excuse a couple of different times. You heard it. So they came to him a second time and, and, and saying the same kind of thing. He keeps demanding, though. No, I'm not settling for anything less. You tell me the dream and you tell me in the interpretation or it's going to go really badly for you. Verses 10 and 11, they finally say this. They put their foot down and the Chaldeans answered the king. And what did they say? There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. They're like, we're, we're good at our job. We, we know what we're doing. Kind of the, that. But we can't do this. There's nobody you've hired. There's not anybody on all of earth that can do what you're just asking us to do. There's no one on earth who can do it. They say, maybe, maybe some gods can do it. Maybe there's some gods that aren't of human flesh that can figure this out. But I'm telling you, we don't know, and your demands are a bit too difficult. And so Nebuchadnezzar does not have this moment where he's like, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm stressed out, I've been a little bit too hard on you, my expectations were too high. What does he do? Look at verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Remember, God had given them this position of influence in the king's court. They had been put there by God, but now it seems that because they're in that position, they're going to be killed along with all the other people. He's not, just, he's not the kind of boss that just says, you're fired, I'll find somebody else who can do the job. This king is so disturbed and is making such difficult demands that if they can't follow his difficult demands and can't live up to his expectations, they're gone. He makes a deadly decree. So you see this here as we go through verses 1 to 13. Now before we move on in the story, I like to pause as I'm going through Scripture on my own or as I'm teaching Scripture, I like to pause because we know that all Scripture is youth, useful breathed out by God, and we need it for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And so I expect that God's Word has application for us. This was originally written by Daniel to exiles in Babylon, but it's written for us as well, right? And so some application for us. I was thinking, what, what kind of point of application do I get from reading about Nebuchadnezzar and his demands and his decree and all that stuff? And here's what I was thinking. Because what's easy for us is when we see in Scripture the bad guys who definitely seem like the bad guys, there can be this thing, I don't know if it's in you, but it's in me, that I can see the bad guys and I can kind of have this, 
attitude that says, thank you, God, that I'm not like them. You ever have that attitude? You have that attitude about other people sometimes, don't you? Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. I've got it more together than King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not like that. And true, I've never made a deadly decree because I had a disturbing dream and nobody can tell me what the dream was. But as I allowed God to search my heart a little bit, I had to ask myself this question. Am I making demands of people who struggle to live up to my high expectations? Are we ever like Nebuchadnezzar? Maybe not to the same extent, but are we ever like Nebuchadnezzar? Do we kind of have that kind of attitude like he had, that he expects people to serve him? Probably more often than we'd like to admit. This often happens in marriage and in parenting, doesn't it? I mean, if I were to ask you directly, husbands, this happened with you and your wife? Wives, does this happen with you and your husband? Parents, are you guilty of this with your kids? I think it gets worse when life is stressful. Remember, this king is disturbed. He's not getting any sleep. Any parents can relate to that? You're not getting any sleep. And, and because of that, you're not feeling like everything's just not like I'm just mad. And I have a short fuse. It seems like Nebuchadnezzar has a short fuse. He's not getting any sleep. No, the people that are in his life, you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to serve me. This is what you're here for. I mean, maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but isn't that kind of the attitude we have sometimes? If everybody would just do what I want, everything would be fine, but people aren't doing what I want, and we just get stressed out, and we get angry. We have a short fuse. I think maybe too often we're more like Nebuchadnezzar than we'd like to think that we are. Wouldn't it be better, though, if people saw the fruits of the Spirit coming out of us? That they saw coming out of us love and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That we were known not as people who made difficult demands and expected other people to serve us, but that we were people who gave up ourselves to serve others. That we were known as people who are an encouragement to others. That's the kind of man that I want to be. Let's keep moving in the passage, though. Maybe that's something for you to pray about. I have some stuff in that application guide, the questions there. You know, let's just pause for a second and pray right now. We need help with this. God, I just I pray that you would help. Because though I might not uh, express it in the same way as Nebuchadnezzar, I just confess on my own, and I probably... Uh, could be with many others who confess that, that oftentimes we act like we deserve to be served by those around us. We get stressed, and out of that we make difficult demands, and we get really upset when people don't live up to our high expectations. We get angry. We don't exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. It's hard. And so, God, we ask for your forgiveness, and thank you for all of us who are in Christ that you've given that to us. We're free from bondage to sin, and God, we need help to fight against it day after day. And I thank you that your Spirit dwells in us, and I pray that by your Spirit you would help us to fight this kind of sin in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue in the passage. 
And we see in verses 14 to 23 that even though they can't, and that, remember that's how they ended, like, we, we can't do this. There's no one on earth that can do what you've told us to do, king. We're going to see in verses 14 to 23 that what they can't do, God can do. And I love, here's what I love about verses 14 to 23. I want you to take note of this. Take note of Daniel's boldness and take note of Daniel's humility. We're going to see both of them here. So let's look at verses 14 to 23. It begins with Daniel hearing about what's going on, and I love his respectful request. He's going to a man named Arioch, who's the captain of the king's guard. Imagine you're the captain of the king's guard. You work for King Nebuchadnezzar, who seems to be very powerful and very, very influential, but also seems to have a very short fuse. And so all of the demands that you've gotten have come from this very powerful king. And now you, the captain of the guard, in charge of, of, of some of the things that the king desires to carry out, get this very respectful request from a teenage boy. He comes to you very respectfully. He even says here, he came with prudence and discretion. He requested that he have a time with the king. I'm sure that was a breath of fresh air for Arioch, captain of the king's guard. And here's what I want you to note. I want you to note the boldness of Daniel because he asks for a time with the king. At that point, does Daniel know what the king had dreamt and what the interpretation was? He doesn't even know. Isn't that bold? Oh, yeah, the guy who wants me and everybody else dead, can I go meet with him? What, do you know? I don't know yet, right? I don't know what the dream is. I don't know what the interpretation, but let's get a meeting time set up. And then what does he do? Very next thing, he goes to his friends and he tells them, you better start praying. I wonder if they kind of raised it. What did you just do, Daniel? Or maybe they have confidence in God too. Like, oh yeah, for sure, we'll pray. I know nobody else can do this. I've heard what, I've heard what he's demanding. I've heard what he's decreed. But we know God. Let's go to him, right? And so it says, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. It's a mystery, something we can't figure out. But, I, but we know the man who knows. We know the one who knows, the God of heaven. Uh, we can go to him. Uh, isn't it just some quick application? Don't we need to be people like Daniel who have that kind of confidence and are so quick to just go and ask our friends for prayer? Right, that's part of what uh, I think that women helping women's Sunday school class has been. Hey, listen, you need help. And so go to other women. Women, make some friends. Find some friends and go to those friends and ask for prayer. Men, do the same thing. Kids, do the same thing. We need to be praying for each other. Go to people when we need it. Let's continue. Guess what? God answered the prayer. Not surprised, are we? Verse 19 says, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. First his friends pray, then the mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel responds by giving a, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. It says he blessed the God of heaven. 
and you can read it there. We read it already. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. And I love this. He says, to whom belong wisdom and might? If you're living in Babylon like Daniel is, who does it look like has all the wisdom and might? King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what it looks like to everybody else. But who's Daniel praying to? The God of heaven who has alone wisdom and might. King Nebuchadnezzar is as nothing compared to this God, right? To whom belong wisdom and might. He is, the na- he is God. And then, and then it looks like, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the one who's removing and setting up kings. He's the one who came into Jerusalem and took over. His empire is expanding. It looks like his kingdom is the kingdom, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar looks like the ones who's setting up and removing kings. But Daniel knows that's not the truth. What's the truth? The truth is the God of heaven is the one who sets up kings and removes kings, right? So already, you know, we're like in campaign season for the next two years, right? We know, though, the God who removes and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Why is Daniel wise? Because God gave him wisdom. Knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. This is Daniel's prayer. And I love that we have a prayer here. I'll tell you why here in just a moment. But I'll finish the prayer first where he says this, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and you have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. See, Daniel has his prayer answered, and the prayer of his friends answered. We don't even know what it is they actually prayed. They just prayed somehow that God would reveal the mystery. But we do have Daniel's response. God answered prayer, and Daniel has a response. He makes sure that he gives this prayer of thanks and praise to God thinking about application of this i'm grateful and we see this all over scripture don't we that we see prayers recorded for us in scripture what a gift that is to us isn't it uh the the women's book club is looking at a book right now by hb charles jr called it happens after prayer just examining biblical prayers we want to do that we want to look at biblical prayers i think for a couple reasons i just put two down there's more than this but one is it reminds us to pray Just the fact that this is included in the book of Daniel, rather than just kind of like walking through the narrative of here's what happens, we're told that Daniel went and requested that his friends prayed, and then we actually have the text of Daniel's prayer of praise and thanksgiving. We need reminders all the time that we ought to, in any and every situation, be going to God with prayer. That's our memory verse for this past week, right? In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That's what Daniel did. Well, Philippians wasn't written yet, but that's what Daniel's doing here, right? So we need prayers in the Bible to remind us to pray. And then also, I would encourage, I've, I've, I've encouraged this before. This has been so helpful for me. We, we are taught to pray by looking at the prayers in the Bible. So that's one of the a- exercises in your application for this week. Just look at this prayer of Daniel and use this as a model, as a, as a, as a springboard for your own prayer. Right? So, very helpful that we have these prayers written to us. We ought to be people like Daniel, who our first instinct is, I have confidence, but not in myself, but I'm going to go to God. Now we're going to see some of the humility of Daniel here in just a moment. The third point is this, third and final point. Let it be known 
there is a God in heaven. Starting in verse 24, it says, Therefore Daniel went into Ariakum, the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, went and said this to him, Bring me in before the king. I'm ready now. My friends have prayed. God has answered that prayer. I've given God praise and thanks. But I love that Daniel's not just the guy who just prays and hears the word of God. He's a man who prays, hears the word of God, and does stuff, right? We, we don't want to be caught up in kind of like this. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. I pray, I hear the word of God, and I never do anything. That wouldn't have done a whole lot of good. If he's got the interpretation, if God's revealed to him what he needs to know, his next step is to take another step of bold action and, and request, okay, now I'm going to do it. I'm ready. Let's meet with the king, the man who wants me and all my friends dead. Let's meet with that guy. And so makes the request, and he is brought in before the king, and the, and, the, and the man says to him, listen, I found one. There's a guy who says he can do this. And the king asks Daniel, is that, is that true? Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Now I love Daniel's answer. Here's where we see Daniel's boldness and humility again. Daniel answered the king and said, I love this, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. He's not afraid to let the king know, listen, your demands are pretty difficult. And just to point out, you're right. There is not a man in your kingdom who knows how to answer your, who, who can live up to your expectations. There's not a single guy. That's why you want to kill everybody. Not a single guy that you've hired. All these wise men with all this training, all of the magic arts that they know, not a single one can give you what you want, O king. Daniel has the boldness to tell him that. He's reminding him of that. But then I love this line, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And they can't do it. But let me tell you something, king. There is a God in heaven. It's not the same God that you're worshiping, but there's a God in heaven. And this is the God who reveals mysteries. And he's made known this mystery. And so Daniel continues on. And then here's where you see the humility of Daniel, verse, 20, or verse 30. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. Daniel doesn't want credit. He has the boldness to go before the king, and he could get all sorts of props from the king, right? Patting him on the back, giving him all sorts of rewards. Nobody else could do it. I mean, isn't that kind of a natural human kind of tendency? Listen, nobody else could do this, but I could do it. That's not what Daniel says. Nobody else could do it, but there's a God in heaven who could do it. And I'm able to give this to you just as a gift, because God gave this gift to me, and I'm just handing this over to you. He gave me this gift to fulfill his purposes. I'm not any more wise than any of these other guys that you've hired to do this work. I love the boldness and the humility of Daniel as he sees the opportunity, he seeks it, and he seizes it. And I think there's application here for us. Application for us is this. 2,600 years ago, God gave a revelation to an other God-worshipping man through a dream. A guy who worshipped not the God of the Bible. And God desired to reach this man through a dream. 
Right? It's God who gave, we're going to find that out later, it's God who gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream. Nebuchadnezzar was assuming it was one of his gods that was giving the dream. It's the God of the Bible who's giving him this dream. And so if we're thinking about modern day application, a question could come to mind, and that is this. Does God still do stuff like this? Can God still reveal himself, and does he still plan to reveal himself to people through dreams? I was reading a story recently. Uh, and this, this happens many times, not here in the United States, but oftentimes in other cultures where, where they've been trained in their way of thinking. They've been trained to think that the way that God or the gods will reveal themselves to them is through dreams and visions. And so this has been a phenomenon happening amongst various people groups throughout the rest of the world, especially Shia Muslims. Because Shia Muslims would believe that, that Allah will communicate with them in some way through a dream. And many former Muslims who have become Christians would point to one step in that process being, or even oftentimes the first step in that process being, having some sort of dream that caused them to ask a question whereby they could hear the gospel and then come to faith in Jesus. Okay? So, so I don't believe that God like ceased to be able to communicate in this way. It sounds like he still is. Here's a story. Listen to this story. There's a friend of mine. This is somebody else writing this story. They say, a friend of mine tells of a Persian migrant who arrived at a refugee center at 6 o'clock in the morning, visibly upset. True story, okay? He told his story to a Persian pastor who was there at the refugee center. During the night, this man had seen someone dressed in a white, dressed in white, raise his hand and say, stand up and follow me. Now the Persian man said, who are you? It's all in this dream in, night, in the nighttime. The man in white replied, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the way to heaven. No one can go to the Father except through me. So this man begins to ask the Persian pastor, who is he? What am I going to do? Why did he ask me to follow him? How shall I go? Tell me. Well, I mean, talk about an open door, right? In response, the pastor holds out his Bible and asks the man, have you seen this before? The man replies, no. Do you know what it is? The pastor asks him. The man replies, no. And the pastor opens up to the book of Revelation and reads, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The man started crying and said, how can I accept him? How can I follow him? So the pastor led him in prayer and peace came over this man. The pastor then gave the man the Bible and told him to hide it, telling him that Muslims in the camp could cause him trouble if he's seen holding a Bible. But the man replied, The Jesus that I met today is more powerful than the Muslims in my camp. And he left, and one hour later returned with ten more Persians and told the pastor, These people want a Bible too. Right? Pretty cool story. Those are the kinds of things. Even when Mark and I went a couple years ago to India, some sort of miraculous event was the first thing that opened the eyes of, in many cases, a Hindu or a Buddhist to, to be open to even hearing the gospel. So God can and seems to still use dreams and revelations to people who are currently worshiping some other God. Today, God gives revelation to other God-worshiping people through dreams. But we need to keep in mind, this is step one, right? 
the means by which people come to faith in Christ is how are they going to call in the name of the Lord unless they've heard it? How are they going to hear unless somebody preaches, right? How are they going to, how is somebody going to preach unless they're sent, right? The normal means by which God would have the gospel come to people is through other people. Even in this case, this was just step one. God used the dream, but he also needed a Persian pastor to be present at a refugee center in order to preach the gospel to this man, right? Because it is very possible that dreams can lead us astray, we read about that all throughout Scripture as well. The normal and authoritative way of God's revelation is through the Bible. Okay? If we want to know for sure, we, we can't kind of depend on, well, I had this dream or, or, or this vision. I was kind of like in, in this state and God said something to me and I know this is true. We can't say that with that kind of certainty like we can with Scripture. So the normal and authoritative way that God reveals himself to his people is through the Word of God. But it's not necessarily the only way that God can and sometimes does reveal himself. Dreams can lead people astray. You can read about it in passages like Jude verse 8. What I love about having all of Scripture is that we don't have to be in a spot like Nebuchadnezzar where we, we need some more revelation from God. In Scripture, we have all the revelation that we ever really need, right? Scripture gives us the, the, the clear teaching of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Oftentimes in Scripture, this is called a mystery, the mystery of the gospel of Christ. And so I'm going to put one passage up on the board to close, and that is this passage from the end of the book of Romans. You can turn there if you want, if that's too small on the screen. But here's what it says. The very last words in Romans are this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Okay? The, the mystery, the, the preaching of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this wondrous mystery that we sang about earlier in the worship service. This wondrous mystery of God who came and took on human flesh. This wondrous mystery of a man who lived a perfectly sinless and obedient life, Jesus. This, this wondrous mystery of the God-man who put himself on the cross, who was, who was crucified to a cross, willingly went to the cross to die in our place for our sins, accepted as a sacrifice, who rose from the dead. This is the wondrous mystery that has been proclaimed to us clearly in Scripture and that we then not only should believe, but should also tell with the kind of boldness that Daniel told it with. That Daniel went before an adversary, somebody who wanted him dead and had the boldness to tell him, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery. And so, let me just close with this sentence. Church, let's behold, believe, and share the wondrous mystery of the God in heaven who came down and took on flesh to ransom us. The God of heaven, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. This is the God who reveals himself clearly to us. Let us be people that believe it, behold it, and gladly share it with others. Let's pray. God, we need your help with that. 
because we hear lots of other things and it's easy to believe a lot of things that are just flat out lies or that seem like truth but maybe have a little error mixed in. But God, we want to believe what is true and so I thank you that you have given us your word and that you speak most clearly to us through your word. I thank you that you are not limited and so if you desire to take a a Muslim in a Persian refugee camp, a Persian Muslim in a refugee camp, and give them a vision that causes them to reach out to somebody who can proclaim the gospel, we are thankful that you're a God who does that because this mystery, this wondrous mystery, is something that you want to be known to all nations. It says in Romans 16, and so God, that's our desire, that we would be people that not only behold and believe this wondrous mystery, but we would be people who care about this this message going out to all nations, going out to people in our neighborhood, going out to people that we work with, and going out to people in the corners of the earth who have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for entrusting us with this good news. And I pray that as we believe it and as we share it with others, that all glory would be to you and to you alone. You alone are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.